0: Good morning, guys. It is good to be with you all. It's good to worship the Lord. Thanks, Stephen and the team, for leading us in a time of song. That was good stuff. Um, I want to, before we get into the Word of God this morning, I want to take a minute to bring you guys up to date on what is happening with our Touch Uganda initiative, right? We set aside two weeks to focus on extraordinary prayer and extraordinary sacrificial giving to support our brothers and sisters who are really, really hurting in Uganda. Uh, if you're new around here, you don't know about this. Uh, we partner with two ministries in Uganda that our heart is deeply connected to. One is called Reigning Hope. Um, it is a. It is basically a home for children who are in desperate need, and we've been. Uh, investing in raising up a generation of world-changing children through Reigning Hope. And they are involved in changing the world as they get older and older. um, They're continuing to make an impact and God is doing great things through Reigning Hope. And then we also work with a ministry called Wells of Hope, which uh, is investing also in children, and in prisoners' families, and in various kinds of ministries in Uganda. And we've been telling you, and you've been hearing and praying about this, that um, the, the situation with COVID has brought the life in Uganda to a really, really critical moment. And so we set aside a couple of weeks ago, and we said we're going to dedicate two weeks to praying and giving. So I hope you have been praying. And here's the surprise. You're allowed to keep praying, right? Just because the two weeks is up doesn't mean you can't pray anymore. So that the needs still exist. And, um, but I also wanted to make you aware that our little church, in two weeks, I'm so proud of you guys. Because in two weeks... We raised $23,000. And so literally between those two ministries, we're splitting that $23,000. It's going to be over $11,000 to Wells of Hope, over $11,000 to Reigning Hope. And if you're like just getting in on this and you're like, hey, I want to be part of it, we will still accept your offerings. So... Um, but that is that incredible! Like, what an amazing thing! Let me just—I'm going to just be honest with you guys. When the Lord put this on my heart to to do something extra for them, I thought, well, how about if we just like f- find a way, squeeze it out of the church budget, cut something somewhere, and maybe we we could give as much as a thousand dollars to each of these ministries. And then I thought, yeah, but why not let the people of the church be a part of the solution here? And so, I just shared it with you guys, and in two weeks, $23,000. So, praise God that his vision is much bigger than my vision, amen? Amen. And so, let's continue praying for them. That money is being wired out even as we speak. So, let's be praying for them as they're now um, using those funds to continue the ministry that God has called them to. It's a pretty awesome thing. Uh, let's just take one minute and pray for them and uh, prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Father, we just want to say thanks again that uh, you who owns the Catalan a Thousand Hills never hold back and that you're able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or even imagine. And Father, you know how to meet needs and you know how to move resources around so that those needs are met. God, we just want to pray for the the people of Africa, particularly for those we're partnering with in Uganda. We ask God that you would feed those who are hungry, We ask that you would protect those who need to be protected from illness. We pray, God, for the the, uh, medical workers and the the political leaders and all those who are making difficult decisions. We thank you that um, the lockdown has been partially lifted now, but we pray, God, that there would not be a spike and that you would just continue to protect them. We pray you would do the same thing for those of us here in the states and all around the world who are still uh, fighting against this virus, and we ask for your grace to just abound in that. And we also pray that this morning, as we open your word together, that you would open our hearts, that we would hear from you, that you would transform lives as your word gets into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you don't know me, you might not know this, um, but I am not famous for my prowess with do-it-yourself home projects. Um, In fact, I'm really, really clueless when it comes to all of that kind of stuff. I'm terrible at all of that. Um, And so when there's do-it-yourself projects around my house, I have to call friends and say, won't you please come and help me? Um, We had an ice maker go out in our our freezer, right? And uh, my wife gets cranky when there's no ice in the summertime. So... Um, I decided we better do something about that, but I had no idea how to do anything about it. And so uh, my friend Chuck came over and he uh, just crawled into my freezer and I stood there in the kitchen watching him work. And I love work. I could watch it all day. It's fascinating. <laughs> and, and, and I was watching him and he's you know doing this and that and, and, and then he was done. And I'm like, wow, if I had done this, It would have been a five-hour project and it would not have worked at the end. But now we have ice, praise God. So it seems like when I see guys like Chuck and others of you who are just like good with this stuff, it's like you intrinsically know how to do, it's like, oh, this isn't working. Well, that's okay, we'll just do it this way. Where I would just start to cry, you know? I would just be lost. And, and so, like, you know, if you, try to, if you buy something from Ikea, have you ever tried to put anything together from Ikea? Listen, buy a coupon for marriage counseling before you buy the Ikea thing, that will help. Um, And and, because those instructions are absolutely useless to me. I do not understand what they're saying. They have pictures and arrows and numbered little doodads and I don't even know what the doodads are and I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And, and so what I used to do back in the old days, there used to be a thing called bookstores. I don't know if any of you have heard about that. But I used to go to a bookstore and I found out that they have a whole section just for dummies. And I like that, right? And so they have like, you know, how to change your oil for dummies and how to do brain surgery for dummies and all this kind of stuff. And so I would just go buy a dummies book and then that would help me. And then I went to the bookstore and I found out that they not only had a section for dummies, but there's another section for idiots. So there's like the idiot's guide to this and the idiot's guide to that. And then that was not good for me because am I an idiot or a dummy? I, I'm, I'm not sure. And so, so now I have discovered, here's what you do. There's this magical place called YouTube. You go to YouTube and you just type in what you wanna do and some guy who knows which end of the screwdriver to hold does a video and he walks you through it and you get to see it happen right in front of you and then I'm only gonna break something two or three times before I get it right as long as I have that video. And so I love the idea of having an example to look at If you're gonna have to do something, I wanna know that somebody has done it before and be able to watch how they did it and then kinda copy that. And so that example thing is important to me. Well, we've been in the book of Acts for the last several weeks and we're sort of looking at the example of the early church. We get to see an example of what it looks like to be the church, right? We get to see an example of what it looks like to have genuine fellowship where people weave their lives together. We get to see an example of what it is to have a heart for evangelism where you're actually sharing Jesus with people. We get an idea to seeing how it is that the church makes decisions and how the leaders in the church behave and how they interact with people who don't know Christ and all that kind of stuff. We get to see this example example. And God used the church of the first century to change the world. And that's my prayer for grace fellowship. We have a motto around here, loving God, loving people, changing the world. world right? Because as you love God with all of your heart, and as you practice the love of people, God changes the world through you. And if you have this picture in your mind of, well, how could I ever change the world? Don't think about changing the world. Think about changing your world. God has put people around you. God has put you in a context. God has put you in a job. He's put you in a neighborhood. He's put you in a family. You can change that world. And as we all do that, we change the world. And so we've been looking at the example given in the book of Acts. Remember, it all begins in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you shall be my witnesses, says Jesus, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so far that plan has started to unfold before our eyes in the book of Acts. In Acts two through six, we see that Jerusalem and Judea is getting radically impacted by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter eight, after the persecution begins, They flee to Samaria, and the gospel spreads to Samaria. And then in chapter 10, we saw this last week, as Peter goes to the home of Cornelius, even the Gentiles in places like Caesarea are beginning to get reached, and you can see that Jesus' plan is beginning to unfold. So we got Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but what about the rest of the earth? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to look today at a couple of pictures of a church in a place called Antioch. So go to Acts chapter 11 and join me in Acts 11 verse 19, and let me just give you some context for the main passage we're gonna have today in chapter 13. Here we go, Acts 11:19. 19. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when, uh, then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year... They met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. We saw Gentiles come to know Jesus in chapter 10. And now as it continues to spread, the gospel is impacting people everywhere. And so now it's come to this place called Antioch. In terms of the spread of the gospel... Antioch was the gateway to the world. If the church begins here in Jerusalem, right there on the Mediterranean coast, then if you go due north from Jerusalem, about 300 miles, and remember, there's, there's no highways, there's no automobiles, there's no bullet trains, there's no anything. If you were gonna go from Jerusalem to Antioch at that time, you would go on foot, and that was about a two-weeks journey on foot. So 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch, and, and you get to basically the northeast corner, if you will, of the Mediterranean Sea. And that's where all of the trade routes come together, both by land and by sea. So Antioch becomes this key city in actually spreading the gospel in every single direction. It was a metropolitan city. Uh, it was a city where many languages were spoken. It was a city where many cultures were represented. It was a city that people came into and went out of often. It was the gateway to Asia. It was the gateway to Europe. It was the gateway to Africa if you were coming from the north. And so these routes were absolutely essential and it was there in Antioch where God made his next strategic move in his mission to make disciples of all nations. And it's the church at Antioch that is going to serve as our YouTube video today. It's the church in Antioch that is going to give us an example of how to reach a lost world for Christ. It's going to be spreading the gospel for dummies, okay, or an idiot's guide to changing the world, whichever you prefer. But If you're a dummy or an idiot, put yourself in whichever group you belong. But we're going to find out how this works beginning in chapter 13. So turn the page, get to Acts chapter 13 with me, and we're just going to focus today on three simple verses. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. First of all, I want you to look at verse 1 and see how verse 1 describes the leaders of this church, right? We get a list of men. First, Barnabas. Now, if you've been reading Acts, you've seen Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was a key figure in the church at Jerusalem. He was respected, he was honored, he was a leader in that church. And when the word got out that this guy, Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, had become a Christian, the apostles wanted nothing to do with him because they thought it was a trick. But Barnabas befriended this guy, Saul, who later became known as Paul. And he introduced him to the apostles and vouched for him so that Paul was now accepted as a part of the church, right? And now now Paul has gone back off to Tarsus and when they hear word that the gospel has reached Antioch, which is a Gentile city, and we have really for the first time a whole church full of Gentiles, they decide to send Barnabas to check this out and find out whether this is real or not. And so Barnabas ends up in Antioch, and he's amazed at what God is doing there, and so he's going to go and get Paul, and they're going to do this ministry together, which we read about last chapter. So listen, we got Barnabas. Barnabas is a Jew. He's from Jerusalem. The book of Acts describes him as being a wealthy man who sells attractive land in order to support the ministry of the church. He was the one they sent to investigate these claims in Antioch. And then there's a guy named Simeon. And it tells us that Simeon, who was called Niger, um, was one of the leaders, one of the prophets and teachers in this church. Now the word Niger means black. Simeon is apparently a black-skinned man, probably from Africa, who is in Antioch, and he is a part of this church, so not only is this a Gentile church, but already if we've met two people, we're racially mixed. We've got a white-skinned Jew and a black-skinned African. These guys are leaders in the church, and then this guy named uh, Lucius of Cyrene. He comes from a city called Cyrene, which is a Greek city. And so it's kind of a center of education, Greek philosophy, Greek thinking. And so now we have a Jew, an African, and a Greek. It sounds like a joke is getting ready to start, right? And, and then we have this guy named Manan. And it tells us about Manan, that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That is to say, he was literally raised in the royal court This is a guy who is very influential. This is a guy who is highly educated. This is a guy who has influence and who comes from great wealth. He's a man of privilege and he's a part of the royal court. And then lastly, Saul, who you know as Paul. Now Saul was a Pharisee. He was the leader of the persecution of the church until On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus, got knocked flat on his face like so many of us have in our lives, and God brought him into his plan and began to use him, and eventually he became known as the Apostle Paul. But at this point, he's just a gifted young leader who's there in the church in Antioch. Like, that's the leadership team at this church, and and it just looks like their city, And you can see how God has this strategy of how he's going to reach the world and this is going to be the hub from which it goes off in every direction. This is an unlikely group. What do these guys have in common? They're a different race. They're different socioeconomic backgrounds, They're from different places. They have different educations. They spoke different languages coming up. And God puts them all together in one church. What do these guys have in common? Jesus. And we've been talking about this for weeks now. When we have Jesus in common, what we have in common is far more important than all the things that separate us. And so they were able to set aside all those different things that would have normally divided them, and instead they came together to be a part of what God was doing. This was a team of leaders that God had handpicked for what was his strategy. This becomes, I think, in the New Testament, the most strategic church in the first century. God used this church to change the world. That's why I want them to be our YouTube video today. How did it happen? How did God change the world through this church? Well, it started, strangely enough, with a worship service. And the rest, as they say, is history. So are you ready for the Idiot's Guide to Changing the World? I'm gonna give you four simple steps to how God can use a local church to change the world, and this is our example. Step one, if you're taking notes, here we go. Step one, we worship. It all begins with worship. Guys, we have got it so messed up in our lives when we think that everything begins with us. It doesn't begin with us, it begins with God. And when we realize that things begin with God, that your life is not about you, but your life is about him. That your resources are not for you, but your resources are for him. That your calling is not about your plans, but your calling is about his plans. When it begins with worship, amazing things happen. Look at verse two, chapter 13. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. This began while they were ministering to the Lord. I love that phrase. See, we you say if you said someone asked you this afternoon what'd you do this morning you'd say oh, I went to a church, or maybe you would say well I went to worship service, or maybe you would say you know I I, I sang songs I saw some friends, uh, had pastries with the pastor, whatever, and yet it says here that when the church gathered, they ministered to who the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. They understood that worship is not about me, it's about him. Worship is about me giving something to God. And we talk about this all the time. Um, and even as Stephen and the band led us this morning, and, and he, he spoke about this too, the fact of the matter is that when we worship, it's not for us, it's for him. And and if if you leave here today and you, and you go meet some friends at Applebee's, I mean, I know you guys are wild and crazy, you might be at Applebee's, and if you go to Applebee's and meet some friends and they go, how was worship today? And your thought is, well, um, you know, the sound system was kind of rattly. Or if your thought is, man, they picked all songs, I don't know. Or if your thought is, you know, I just don't like that Steven guy. You know, whatever the case is. A lot of you laughed at that. I didn't mean to touch a nerve, sorry. But, um, but if, that's, if that's how you think about it, you're thinking about worship all wrong. The question is not how well did you enjoy yourself? The question is how well did God enjoy yourself? Amen? When we worship, we're giving something to him. It's for him, it's for his glory, we minister to him. And when we put God on the throne and move ourselves off the throne, and we don't make it about me and what I want and what I like and all that kind of stuff, and we make it about him and just laying ourselves down to glorify him, when we do that, That's when amazing things happen in the context of worship. This is a great picture of genuine worship. They were ministering to the Lord. All throughout church history, it's been in the context of extraordinary worship that God moves in extraordinary ways. Um, One of the things I've done is uh, made a study, uh, like a many, many years study. I've probably... 30 books in my office on this topic. The history of revival in the church. There have been these moments when the Holy Spirit is moved in the body of Christ in certain ways where there's just been an explosion of growth, an explosion of faith, an explosion of people meeting God, walking with God, being transformed. And it always spreads out through the community so that nations are transformed when there is a great awakening. And so in America we had the first and second great awakenings which you can learn about if you can find a history book that hasn't rewritten history and and um, all throughout Europe in the, when the Great Awakening spread through the Wesleyan revival or in the Hybrides Islands or the revival under Duncan Campbell or these various revivals that have taken place over the years. Every single one of them has this in common. It happened in the context of extraordinary prayer and extraordinary worship. It was when the people of God made God central again. And they stopped making it about all of their own preferences, all of their own differences, all their own complaints, all their own ideas, and they made it about how can I most glorify God? It's in those contexts when the spirit is then free to move in ways that we are just amazed to see him move. And he does incredible things. And all throughout church history, that's been the case. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. What were they doing there on Pentecost Sunday? They were praying and worshiping God, and the Holy Spirit fell and transformed the world, right? That's what happens here in Acts chapter 13. While they were ministering to the Lord, while they were praying and fasting, while they were there focusing on the Lord, God intervened and began to speak to them. Whenever God is going to move in a powerful way through revival throughout history, He always first calls his people to extraordinary prayer and worship. And so let's not think about how do I change the world. Let's not think about how do we as a local church change the world. Let's get our eyes focused on the throne room of God and let's begin to say how do I live a life that is all about him and all for his glory and all for his worship. And when we all begin to do that, we're gonna see God move in powerful, powerful ways. That's why our Touch Uganda campaign that I just talked to you about was not a fundraiser. It was a call to extraordinary prayer. And it's in the context of that extraordinary prayer and worship that God does amazing things. We have to get our hearts and minds focused on God, you guys. And uh, would you agree that there's just a few things that can distract us from that? <laughs> it, it is pretty easy to get distracted from what matters the most. But it all begins with worship. How does a local church change the world? Step one, we worship. Step two, We listen to God. Look at verse two again. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I wish it gave us like a video of this so we could see how this happened. I don't know how the Holy Spirit communicated with them exactly, but it says that the Holy Spirit said this. Now, we've already been told that the men in the room are prophets, And so we don't have a New Testament at this point in Acts chapter 1. And so the Holy Spirit is still speaking to um, God's leaders through prophets. Today we have the word of God. If you want to know for sure that it's the voice of God that you're hearing, open your Bible and read it there. That's where the voice of God speaks. In the first century, it was not uncommon for God to speak through prophets and he would give literal word for word messages to them. And so somehow amongst these prophets and teachers, God begins to speak and he says, I want you to set apart for me these men. So in the context of worship, they began to listen to the voice of God. And I don't know if you put this together in your head yet, but that's why we sort of designed our Sunday morning worship services the way we have at Grace Fellowship. There's a time of worship, and then there's a time of listening to the voice of God. Now, before I get struck with lightning, let me be clear what I mean by that, right? If I'm ever up here and I'm preaching to you and saying this is what you need to do, this is what God wants you to do, and I don't have this book in my hand, get up and walk out. Because it's God's word that we need. Guys, the church has been too often fed on all kinds of spiritual junk food that doesn't come from the word of God. There are some great communicators out there. There are some great preachers who really know how to tell a great story, how to get people's emotions stirred and all that kind of stuff, and how to move people to do things. But if what they're moving us to do is not what God is calling us to do, then we are in the wrong place. The Word of God needs to be absolutely central. That's why we just preach the Word of God. I've been doing this for 35 years, and people are like, man, when are you going to run out of things to say? Never. I got this book. It's living and active. I know some of you wish I would run out of things to say. (laughs) But as long as we got this book, God's God's always going to be speaking to us. And that's why we do it the way that we do it here. Listen, listen there are a lot of preachers saying a lot of things, but you don't really need another man's opinion about anything, do you? Is there enough opinions to go around? If, if God wanted us to have more opinions, he would make the internet even bigger. <laughs> I think there's enough opinions to go around. What we need to know is God's truth. And so there was worship and there was listening to the voice of God, the the word of God is powerful stuff. I'm going to just uh, tell you to leave a finger in Acts 13, and let's skip through our New Testament a little bit. Go to first, uh, no, Second Timothy. Go to Second Timothy. So when you get to the letters of Paul, you're going to find First and Second Thessalonians, and then First and Second Timothy. A few books to the right, toward the back of your New Testament, and I want you to go to Second Timothy, chapter three. It's a very familiar passage. And listen to what God says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, right there at the end of the chapter. All scripture is inspired by God or literally breathed out of the mouth of God. All scripture is the word of God, it's saying. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's a powerful statement about the word of God. All scripture has been inspired by God so that it would equip us to be mature people who can do the will of God. It begins with worship and the scripture. Keep going to the right. If you're in uh, 2 Timothy, go a couple more books to the right, you'll find the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a big book toward the back of your New Testament. Go to Hebrews chapter four. For some of you, these are familiar passages. Let's be reminded. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, speaking of the Bible, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's powerful. The word of God is able to go to the depth of your soul. The word of God is able to do work in you that no man's opinion will ever be able to do. The word of God is transformative. And keep going to the right and get to the book of 1 Peter. Just a few more pages to the right. 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to this, beginning in verse 1. 1 Peter 2, therefore putting aside all uh, malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I love that word picture. Any of you who have ever had children know how much a newborn baby longs for milk. You know, if if you have, I don't know, a two-month-old and the two-month-old gets hungry because it's feeding time and he starts crying, try this. Just say, honey, just wait, mommy's busy. In an hour, I'll get you something. See how that goes. There is a longing, there is a drive that a newborn baby has. I've got to eat and they insist on it and they don't care if you're busy, and they don't care if you have a headache, and they don't care what's going on, and they don't care if you're on the phone. What they care about is you're the one with the milk. Give me some milk. God says long for the word of God like that, because that's what we get fed on. Oh, friends, when will we Christians start to long for the word like that? When that happens, We're gonna be on the road to seeing God change the world through us. So step one, we worship. Step two, we hear from God. Step three, and this is where we sometimes get off track. We worship, we hear from God, and step three, we obey. Oh, don't you hate that part? God expects us to actually do what he calls us to do. Look at, um, go back to Acts chapter 13. Let's get back to our main passage. And in Acts chapter 13 and verse 3, look what it says. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. I mean, we read that like it's matter of fact, but do you realize what a huge ask this was? God says to them, I want you to take arguably the two greatest pastors who have ever lived and send them away from your church and let them go minister to somebody else, Now listen, if God called you guys to send Ricky and me away, you'd be like, okay, how do we pack them up? I get that. This is Paul and Barnabas. How how do they give up these men? You would think that what would follow this time where they heard from the Holy Spirit would be a committee that would be appointed to study the impact of sending away Paul and Barnabas. And maybe in three or four years, they might get around to doing what God said. Or maybe they would call a meeting and say, okay, how can we set up next year's budget so we can afford this mission trip and we wouldn't be able to uh, do that with those guys gone um, or whatever. And Or maybe they would just explain to God why clearly this is a bad idea because we have this vision here in Antioch and these guys are our, our heavy hitters. These guys are our key guys. We need them here in order to see the vision for for our church come true guys whenever you start thinking about our church you're wrong it's not our church it's his church and when they began to realize that God had called them to send away the greatest leaders the church has ever seen you know what they did they laid hands on them prayed over them and sent them off the impression I get is they were gone within an hour that's amazing they simply did exactly what God told them to do, imagine. And by the way, Paul and Barnabas are two of the most impactful church leaders who ever lived. If we're gonna be used by God to change the world as a local church, we have to be willing to say yes to God no matter what he calls us to. And we have to be willing to give our very best. And that brings us to the final step in this four-step process, right? So it's worship, worship, hear the voice of God, obey the voice of God, and step four is not our step, it's his step. God changes the world through us. It's all God's doing. I mean, let's remember this. So, this is not a system whereby we change the world. This is God saying how he's going to change the world. Apart from him, we can do? Good. You've been reading your Bibles. Apart from him, we can do nothing. All of our resources don't add up to anything apart from him. All of our efforts are useless apart from him. All of our plans and strategies and seminars and courses and training sessions are meaningless apart from the power of almighty God to touch lives and change the world. It's not about us. It's about him. And that's why it's amazing to realize that he's invited the likes of us to be such an integral part of what he's doing. We can't make revival happen. We can't change the world, but we can worship. We can't change anybody's heart, but we can listen to the voice of God. We can't control even the smallest of circumstances around us, but we can obey God. And when we do, God is pleased to change the world through us. So, let me just get practical. How's your worship going? How's your personal worship life? Do you exist for your benefit? Do you exist for your plans? Do you exist for your comfort? Or do you exist for the glory of God? And how are you living that out? Now listen, part of that is when you show up on Sunday mornings, where's your heart? Where's your mind? Are you singing songs of worship to God while you're thinking about your 401k? Or are you actually worshiping God? That's part of it. But here's another part of it. How do you decide what to do with your 401K? Monday through Friday. How do you decide how to handle your work life? Monday through Friday. How do you deal with your kids and your parents and your spouses on a day-to-day basis? Do you see all of that as worship? Because life begins and ends with worship. It's all about Him and not about us. So how's your worship going? And how are you doing when it comes to listening to the voice of God? Guys, listen. Don't stand around and say, I just wish God would tell me his will. Read your Bible. It's in here. Everything you need to know for life and godliness is in the pages of this book. And and for so many of us, we have Bibles sitting on shelves collecting dust while we wish God would speak to us. He speaks to us through his word. Are you listening? the voice of God, and and while we're at it, how are you doing at obeying when you hear? (laughs) Do you have those moments when you're reading your Bible, and it's like the Holy Spirit sticks you with that two-edged sword, and you're like, oh my gosh, he wants me to do something, and then you put your Bible down, go to work, and forget all about it. Or you sit there on a Sunday morning, you listen to some preacher talk about the word of God and it's like the Holy Spirit has, has connected you and the, and the sermon from that Sunday and you know that God inspired that sermon just for that moment in your life because you were the one who needed to hear it and you go, wow, I just had an encounter with God. You close up your Bible, you take your Bible, you put it on the package tray of the back of your car, drive around with it all week and forget about what God said to you. Are you obeying God, even in the hard things, with your money, in your marriage, with your job, with your sexuality, with your relationships? Are you obeying God? Or is it just enough to have heard God? We worship, we listen to the voice of God, we obey Him when He speaks through His word, and He changes the world through us. It's so simple. Even a dummy can get it. Let's pray together. God, what a blessing to have your word. What a blessing to be filled with your spirit so that we can hear from you and know what you're calling us to be about. What an incredible offer you've made to us that we can enter the throne room of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ and worship you and honor you and give you praise. Thank you, God, for giving us your word, for speaking to us. We want to be a part of the amazing things you're doing. And so help us, God. Help us to worship you. Help us to listen to your voice. Help us to obey. And through us, Lord, we pray, change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.